This morning, we are going to be in Jonah. No, I'm just playing. We've been, for those of you who haven't been here, we've been in Jonah for many weeks. We finished it last week, and in trying to determine where we would go next, I just thought that a perfect transition from what we just talked about with God's perspective, God's point of view of what was going on in Jonah, that God loved the people of Nineveh too much to let Jonah go his own way, that God loved Jonah too much to just let Jonah go his own way in disobedience. And and, in looking at God's love for us, and not just for us as his people, as Jonah was, but in looking at his love for the world, as we saw with the people of Nineveh, this passage came to my mind. It's, it's, we're, going to be, we're going to start in Revelation chapter 4, verse 9, and we're going to read through chapter 5, which has 14 verses. And so as you're turning to Revelation chapter 4, also we will have it on the screen. For those of you who would rather follow along in the translation I'm reading in, or maybe you didn't bring your Bible with you this morning, it will be on the screen. This passage in Revelation, which is a vision that John had where he was taken to the end of time. So this is, as far as we know, this is in the future. Unless this, what we're reading is happening right now, and this is in the future. And John is taking to, taken to this moment, and he is seeing the end of time played out. And we're going to look at what, what's going on here. There will be a few symbolic words used, some, some language uh, that is a little odd at first, which is common to Revelation which has meaning, and I will on the surface tell you what those things are and, and what the meaning is, and we will keep moving um, because the main point of this passage, the main point of this chapter uh, or chapters, the uh, end of chapter 4 and beginning of chapter 5, is that God deserves our glory. God deserves for us to love him, to worship him, to be in relationship with him. And what's best for us is to be in that relationship. As a child... I did have an affection toward God in the sense of I believed in God my whole life as far as having a head knowledge that there was a God. I just assumed there was. When I heard about Jesus, I felt like, yeah, that's probably pretty accurate what people are saying about him. I didn't know much about him, but I believed what people were saying in 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 a sense. But I didn't have a relationship with God until I was 17. I didn't become a follower of Jesus until I was 17. I didn't understand until that point my need for him. And I didn't understand at that until that point how good my life could be with him. And so it's it's, uh, two-sided here. I mean, yes, we worship God because he deserves it, because he is God, he is creator, he is all-powerful, he is all-knowing. Of course we should worship God. Of course he deserves our worship more than anyone or anything else in this universe, right? Uh, but on the other side of that, it's what's best for us to be in a relationship with the God of the universe is what's best for us. It's where we find our deepest joy, our greatest calm in the midst of chaos. I'm not saying he makes our whole lives go well and nothing bad happens to us once we start following him, but when the bad stuff comes, we have him. And so, um, we're going to be looking at that. We're going to be looking at a few other things. One of the things I want you to look out for is who is worshiping him at the end of this of chapter 5. And pay attention to, um, is it just white people? Is it just Americans? 
let's, let's pay attention to some of that. Uh, spoiler, no, it's not. Uh, but this past week, Rose and I went to New York. Uh, one of my former students, Austin, and he was also a, an assistant uh, with me at the BCM when I worked at the University of Arkansas at Monticello. Uh, he, he moved to New York, and his desire there uh, was to help with the church plant. And so he is with Connections Church in Astoria, Queens, helping with, with their ministry. But as he was there, he saw a need for collegiate ministry, which is where, what he came out of. And he saw a need for collegiate ministry at all the places in New York. Uh, there are more college students in New York than there are people in Arkansas. And I'm talking about the city, New York City. And so um, with that, there are some churches that are doing some good things trying to reach college students, uh, but there are a ton of college students that are going unreached. And so when he arrived in New York, him and his wife, they, they literally went on a mission trip one June or July, and a month later, Haley had a job teaching there, and they moved. They sold their house. They, they sold their four-bedroom house with an upstairs apartment to move into um, what would fit in a lot of our living rooms. Uh, they sold uh, both of their vehicles, and they, they just went there to do this ministry uh, because they felt called by God to, to have a relationship with him, but to do that in New York and specifically to do that, uh, helping a, a church plant reach people in that community there in Astoria. And so they went. And last week we saw a story of a man who God called him to go somewhere and he didn't want to go, right? We, not just last week, but the last several weeks with Jonah. And, of course, God uh, ordained some circumstances, appointed a fish, a worm, a, a plant, all these things. He, he did a lot to get his will done. And this week, we're going to see the fruit of not only the situation in Nineveh, not only what Austin and others are doing, not just in New York, but around the world, what we do here in Mansfield, um, but we're going to see the fruit of how God is working all these things together, and we're going to see it uh, in, in the throne room in heaven when it's coming to fruition, and John, we get to see it through the eyes of John, who was a follower of Jesus, for those of you who don't know, he was a disciple of Jesus, and he was exiled to an island. Uh, most of Jesus' followers were, um, were persecuted in some form or fashion. Many of them martyred and died for the cause of Christ, and here John is, and, and he wasn't martyred, but he was exiled to this island, and here he's having... Uh, this whole book of Revelation is, is what God has given him while he's on this island. And here in Revelation chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 9. This is what he is seeing while he is in the throne room. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive all glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now, this passage, the end of chapter 4, beginning of chapter 5, is probably my favorite part of the entire Bible. I don't know how many times I have read this. Um, it, it, 
the very first time I read it, it, it made it jump out to me. In fact, I've mentioned this passage in two sermons since I've been here in the last 18 months or so. Um, last year, about this time, I preached a message that was focused on Psalm 96 and Psalm 67 and 96, but I also mentioned in the conclusion this passage along with um, the end of Revelation when the new heavens and the new earth are coming down. And we will be looking at those in the future again. But what I, the reason that this is so powerful is because these people are in the presence of God. And we always wonder what we are going to be like when we get into his presence. And I don't, I don't know, right? There's that song I can only imagine it, that talks about this. And, and I, that's the way I feel. I, I'm not sure what I'm going to do and how I'm going to respond but I can look and see what other people are doing. And here, these angels and these elders are falling down. And, and in verse 8, what we didn't read is the angels are singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They were saying that, and they said it over and over and over again. And then here are these 24 elders who, um, we don't know exactly who these people are, but they are obviously people who love God very much. And they are singing, Worthy are you to receive all glory and honor and power. And why is he... Why is he worthy? Why is he worthy? Well, look at the end of that verse, verse 11. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Where the King James Version says, for your pleasure, right? So God created us. Why? Because he desired to. Because he desired to. And I had someone explain it to me like this one time, and it makes sense to me that God already existed, right? Before the creation of the world, he already existed. He always has. I can't wrap my mind around that, but that's what the scripture says, and that's what we'll be reading today even, um, who lives forever. And he already existed, and then he created the world from nothing. He created everything. And why did he do that? Well, according to this, because it pleased him to do so. Because he wanted to pour out his love on us. He wanted to have a relationship with us. I think if we want to know what God intends with his relationship with man, then we should go back to the garden before sin entered into the equation, before we were separated from his presence. And what did he do with Adam? He walked with Adam and Eve. He, he, he um, communed with them. And I think that God desires the same thing for us today. He desires to have a relationship with us. He desires for us to know him. And on this side of eternity, of course, we're not going to know him perfectly. Of course, we're all going to have different experiences in our relationship with him. Of course, those things are that way. Um, but one, th one day, we will see things clearly. And here John is when things are made clear. And here he is seeing them being made clear, I should say. And he's seeing the angels worshiping God. And I often think about things that I don't understand in Scripture, which there's a lot of them. One of them being the Trinity. I just, as most people, I can't wrap my mind around exactly how that works. That God is one, and yet in that one God there are three persons. I'm not sure. But I bet when we see it, we'll be like, oh, okay. That's how that works. Um, and that's what John is experiencing in this moment. He's seeing how things work. And he's seeing a true worship service. Um, nothing against the singing we just did, right? But I think that there will be less of our minds wandering and more of our complete, 
passion and zeal being poured out to God through our voices and through our song. I think that what we experience in heaven, heaven um, many of us have different tastes in music. Many of us have different preferences of style and things like that. Um, well, I think that all that isn't going to matter in heaven when we're in the presence of God. Maybe we're all singing a different song. I don't know. But here we see they're all singing the same song. And the angels are singing a song. The elders are singing a song. And we're going to see in Revelation chapter 5 another song being sung. And so let's, without delay, let me transition us to chapter 5. Look at the last verse in chapter 4. The last thing I want to say about that verse is this, is that you exist because it pleased God for you to exist. God desires for you to exist. God loves you. God loves all of us. He doesn't love you more than the person sitting next to you. He loves us all, and he desires for all of us to have a relationship with him. He desires for all of us to repent and turn from our sins. He desires for all of us to have the best possible life that we can have through him, and he, he can make that possible through his son, and, and he desires for us to remain faithful in times of trials. He desires for us to, to, to keep hope in times of desperation. He desires for us to know him in this manner. And he desires overall, most of all, our worship. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Now this is John, when he says, I, this is John. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that being God, the Father, he saw in his hand a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Now, we, we don't know exactly what is in this scroll. We don't know exactly what the seven seals and what's in the scroll represents. There are some things we can know. For example, it's written on the front and the back. That's very odd for a scroll. Usually, it, that was not the case. This might represent a, a contract in Roman times, um, the, the covenant maybe that God made with his people. Uh, and, and so... Whatever is in this scroll, here's what we know, is that from the context and from what we learned before and after, is that this scroll, when it's open, it will bring about the end of time. And many of us have watched way too many apocalyptic movies, and so when we think of the end of time, we think, oh no, don't, we don't want that. But for the church, the end of time is a good thing. Because it means that God, it's not like time actually ends, right? God comes and dwells with his people. God makes what's been wrong right. All the pain that we have experienced, all the suffering that we have seen in our world, all the things that we have gone through where we wonder why God would allow this to happen, one day he will make it right. One day, all things will be made new. And it can't, that can't happen until this scroll is open. That's, that's what we get from this scroll. Verse 2. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and look into it. 
Think about what John has experienced in his life. Think about his friends, the other disciples, and the deaths that they have already experienced. And church history tells us, you know, that, that Peter, they wanted to crucify him, and he requested to be crucified upside down. We, we, we hear these stories of how this, the first century Christians suffered. We hear the stories of how even Paul was going to places to drag Christians out of their homes, to separate families, to, to imprison people. We, we read how Stephen is murdered. He's stoned in Acts chapter 5. We read these things, and you can imagine how John must feel exiled on this island, having this vision of heaven, knowing the chaos that is happening all around him. And we can fast forward to our time. And how many of you can watch the news and see that things are hard for a lot of people right now? How many of you can see that, that look at it within ourselves or within our families or within our friends and see that there is a ton of suffering happening right now? And what if you were in heaven and you saw the scroll that could bring an end to all that? All, it had to be do, all that had to be done was for that scroll to be opened and for that scroll to be acted out. And for the end of time to be brought forward, for God to make things right. And what if you, like John, looked around and saw no one worthy to bring an end to this suffering? How many of you long for a day where there's no more suffering? Raise your hands. If you ever think about heaven, if you ever think about a day where there'll be no more death, there'll be no more cancer, there'll be no more hurting, there'll be no more backstabbing, there'll be no more gossip, there'll be no more murder or stealing or whatever the case. We long for that day. And for those of us who are Christians, who know the Bible and believe the Bible, we believe that an end will be brought to all this suffering. We have a hope in Christ. And now what if you're standing in heaven and no one is worthy to open the scroll? Put yourself in John's shoes here. Verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, and look, he had enough time to weep. He had enough time to start crying. This wasn't like he looked around, there wasn't anybody, and then the, angel spoke to, the elder spoke to him. There was, there was this dramatic pause here. Verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Now, we know that the line of the tribe of Judah is Jesus. And this is a name that is given to him. It's referencing back with the blessing that Jacob gave Judah, the oldest of his sons. And, and here is the line of the tribe of Judah. Here is this conquering Messiah that has come to save the world. Behold, the root of David, not just a descendant, a branch of David, but a root of David, the one who created David and yet still descended from him. Here is Jesus. Here he has come. Here comes Jesus' dramatic entrance as the Savior who is worthy to open the scroll. And look at verse 6. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb. Not a lion, but a lamb. And not this conquering lion of the tribe of Judah, even though it was him. That's not what he saw. He saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Jesus is in the same, the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah and the suffering lamb that was slain. And John knows who he's looking at. 
John was one of Jesus' best friends. John was the disciple whom Jesus loved. John was, was in his inner three. Peter, James, and John. John knew who he was seeing. John knew who was worthy. And here he is. Everything that he has suffered for, everything that he has lived for, coming to fruition right here with this lamb, proclaiming victory and walking forward. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns that just represents power and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And now those seven spirits were talked about in Revelation chapter 1. And we're running very short on time, so I'm going to have to keep going. But if you want to know more about that, you can come see me or read Revelation chapter 1. Verse 7. And he went, and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. We're, we're sitting there praying right now, and I don't know what these prayers exactly are, but I can imagine that they are the prayers of all the people who have said, why, God? Why are you allowing this to happen? God, make this right. God, help us. God, dwell with us. God, save us. And here is this bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Verse 9. And they sang a new song. So listen to the new song that these people sing. Saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. When we got off the plane in New York, and I've been all around the world. I've been to several different countries. I've been to very large cities before, um, like Bangkok and Manila and places. Uh, but New York... It was, I guess, the biggest city I've ever been to. It was humongous. And within two minutes of getting off the plane in New York, I heard more languages since the last time I was traveling in a foreign country. I mean, I, I literally heard five or six languages within two minutes of getting off the plane. And here, God has brought the nations to us. We live in a time and place. When I was on campus working on campus, college campus. The nations were coming to us. And we have these major cities across our country where the nations are coming to us. And then we can go to Fort Smith. One of my, I think it was my first week here, Terry. You and I went to the hospital, got our card, and the, in the process of me getting my chaplain card, um, we, we saw that... Terry knew someone who did, not knew someone, but met someone who, uh, did they speak the same language as you? Yeah, so they, they were from a similar region in, in East Africa. And so right here, where we live in our homes, there are people who speak these different languages. And if we were to take our if we were to look at from whom we descended and we went back in time, then all of us would be from random places from around the world. And if you look at our descendants and where they will be, and I'm not talking about the next generation, although maybe, years down the road, who knows where people who descend from us will be if God lingers, if he, if he 
continues to be patient and he doesn't return yet. And so we have an opportunity right here in Mansfield. We have an opportunity in places like New York and college campuses like the University of Arkansas at Fort Smith or Arkansas Tech. The University of Arkansas at Fayetteville has so many languages. You know that Southern Arkansas University, I just made Hal very happy, uh, SAU in Magnolia, Arkansas has tons of international students. We have the nations come to us. And for those of us who God is calling to remain here, we need to be faithful with who God is bringing us. And then there are some of you in this room this morning who need to become missionaries to foreign people, for foreign cultures. You need to move to a place that is outside of our country. And this is something that we need to, to, to encourage as a church, that we need to preach from the pulpit and teach from our Sunday school classes and, and in our Wednesday night classes. This is something that we need to make sure that we're telling our children that this is a reality, that this is a possibility, that you could do this and that this is a high calling. This isn't a punishment. Oh, I can't believe that God called the Williams to Africa. Can you imagine that? I mean, how many times did y'all hear that? I'm sure y'all heard that. This is, a high, this is something that's good that we should expect God to call us to. And for those of us who stay, it's a high calling to stay. God has given us an opportunity to minister and to partner with people in other places and to do this type of thing. And this is how he is working in our time to bring about this time when people will sing, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. Now this goes back, and I really have to hurry now. This goes back to Exodus 19, 5 and 6. This goes back to the Mosaic Covenant when God says to Moses, go down and tell the people that you will be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This goes back to when that is even renewed to Christians in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, verses 8 and 9, where uh, Peter says that we are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, that God has called us as Christians to be priests to people who are not Christians. What that means is he uses us to bring people to him. He uses us to teach others about him, and it is our job to do that. And so when we're standing in this moment in the future and we're hearing, we might not be at this exact moment, but when we're hearing people sing, worthy are you for you ransom a people, from every tribe and tongue and nation. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be a part of, yes, thanking the people who told you about Jesus and the people who told, the people who told you about Jesus about Jesus? Aren't we ready for that? But aren't we, don't we hope that when we're standing in heaven one day that there are people who are there because we told them about the Lamb? I pray to God that there are people there who know Jesus, who know the Lord, who have salvation, of course, because of what the lamb has done, but because of our faithfulness to the lamb also. And so they're singing this song of worship to him because he deserves it, and he has made us a kingdom of priests. Verse 11, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne 
and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. There is one who is worthy to open the scroll, and it is Jesus. He is worthy to open the scroll because he came to this earth. He existed before he was born as a man, but he left heaven to be born as a man, to experience all the pain that men experiences, the temptations that men experience, and yet he did not sin. And he did not deserve any punishment, yet he went to the cross. Not because he deserved punishment, but because we deserved punishment, and he wanted to take our punishment for us. And for any of us who will call on his name, who will place our trust, our faith in him, and if we truly have faith in him, and if we truly call on his name, then after our salvation, things will begin to change. We will begin to fall in love with him. We will begin to become more like him. We will love others. We will desire this moment. We will desire for the nations to know him. We will desire to be a kingdom of priests. The more we know him, the more we will desire those things. And so here's a song by Andrew Peterson. Andrew Peterson is is a singer-songwriter who lives in the Nashville area. And this is his latest um, song that he released around Easter. It's from a CD called The Resurrection Letters and uh, Volume 1. And on this album, it is all about Easter and Yet there's just one song at the end of it that is about the lamb that has been slain, and this is it. And the name of the song is, Is He Worthy? As we have read many times, worthy are you to receive. But also, John was looking for someone who was worthy, and there was no one found. And then the elder said, Weep no more. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And so this song is about that. And I'm going to go back there and turn off those lights, so hopefully you can see it a little bit better. But you have lyrics to the song. If you don't have them, maybe someone near you does where you can look on and uh, enjoy the song. And then I'll come back up and close this out. So we look at Revelation chapter 4. We look at Revelation chapter 5. We hear the songs that they will sing. We hear this song that we're currently singing. We hear the fact that he is worthy. And so the closing question that I have for us is, are we living our lives in a way that honors him. He is worthy to receive all honor and glory and power, for he created all things, and by his will they exist and were created. You exist for his will, for his love, for relationship with him. And so are we living that way? Are we living in a way that makes the world around us better? Are we living in a way that makes the world around us think, Jesus is good. Jesus wants to make all things new. Jesus wants to make all things right. Are we starting that process of trying to do everything that God desires right now so that it's not too late before they see how good he is? Don't we want people to know him? We are a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. 
We are the people that he has ransomed. We are the remnant that is mentioned in Isaiah in the Old Testament. We are the ones who love him and are called to him. If we're not living for him, who is? If we're not telling people of his goodness, who is? And so, this morning, as, as we come to a conclusion, we're going to have a time of invitation. And I just want you to respond to God in whatever way he's leading you. In a message like this, when we're just gazing on the goodness of God, when we're looking at how worthy the Father is and how worthy Jesus is of our worship, of our praise, as we're looking at that, he might be convicting our hearts in all kinds of different ways. I'm not, I don't know. But my question to you is, is how is he challenging you this morning? How should you respond to him this morning? How can we love him better? How can we know him more? Those are some of the questions that we need to be asking ourselves. Let's pray, and then we'll have a time of invitation.